Welcome to The Grange Point, where we hang out and talk about the latest news in science technology and how they relate to your everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Young Scientists of Australia. We're a youth organisation aged 15 to 25 whose work is to promote science to the youth of Australia. Lots of things squished together, time running out and messy explosions. That's the end of life of a star. Or at least it is for the ones that go supernova. But for those that don't go nova, that are just collapsing into white dwarfs, what happens to them and is there a chance for them to even themselves wind up as supernova? Plus shedding light on some mysterious supernova including one from a thousand years ago. Now let's spend a little bit of time today talking about the life cycle of stars. Now it seems relatively straightforward. You take interstellar material, molecular cloud or a nebula, and you squish it and compact it with gravitational forces to create a star. Now depending on how much material you feed into that, you could get a low mass star, like our sun, or a massive star, which could go in very different directions. Now low mass stars like our sun, when they reach sort of old age and leave their main sequence stage, they become red giants, they swell up as they burn through their different materials. Two things can happen at this point, it can shed off so much material that it develops a cloud around it, a nebula, or it can collapse in and of itself once it's burned off all its fuel and become just a white dwarf. Now a white dwarf is very cold, stellarly speaking, and low burning and small but incredibly dense stellar object. That's normally what will happen in this death stage of a star. And obviously you leave behind the skeletal remains, some kind of theoretical black dwarf type star, one that's not really glowing at all. Now that's what happens to our kind of low mass stars. Now what can also happen is, depending on the right circumstance, well, you can end up with pretty strange things, supernovas or different types of supernovas occurring. But it's much less common for these red giants to do that. By comparison, those most massive stars that you'd think of, things like Sirius or Betelgeuse, well, then they get into the red supergiant stage when they get old and ultimately explode into a supernova. Depending on how that pans out, you might also end up with a black hole or a neutron star. That's more or less, on a really high level, what happens with the stellar life cycle. But as with everything in space, we're continually finding new things, things that we thought were theoretically possible but have never actually gained good evidence for. These edge cases in our mathematical models of how stellar objects work. And we're gonna spend a bit of time talking about some research and recently published papers that talk about these stellar oddities. Things on this life cycle chart that more or less are a combination of a number of different stages, rather than the neatly pigeonhole definitions that scientists like to come up with. The first case involves a paper published in the journal Nature with lead author Ilaria Cayazzo and contributing authors Fuller. Now they published in the journal paper about a really unusual case, a rapidly spinning, highly magnetized white dwarf star. And the reason why they're focusing on this white dwarf star is that it has the potential to create a very unusual astronomical feat. It's a white dwarf that despite being this end of life stage of a star, is so massive, still has so much leftover mass that, well, it might just collapse in on itself. That 
would be a pretty unusual occurrence. Now, this discovery of this type of unique interstellar object was done using the Zwicky Transient Facility, which is part of some of the two of the Palomar Observatory telescopes. One of them is Keck Observatory on Manukea in Hawaii, and the other telescope is a telescope in Halakalea in Maui, the PanStar telescope. Now, these telescopes all work together as part of the large amount of scientific research done through a number of universities on Hawaii. Now, what they've been studying, now what they've been studying is an incredibly dense and incredibly small white dwarf star. A star that they believe was formed by the collision of two less massive white dwarfs when they merge together. And what they have, as researcher Ilaria Calzo points out, is they've packed a mass greater than that of our sun into a stellar body about the size of our moon. That is a huge compression ratio. I know you might be good at packing things into your bag or a car, but in this case, all of the mass of our sun is squeezed into an object the size of our moon. That is incredibly dense. And this is a really strange occurrence because when you think about it, white dwarf stars end up having more mass than them, even though they're smaller. The smaller the white dwarf, the more mass it ends up having. And this is because white dwarfs don't have this fueled consumption burning process that a normal star has. That means that they're not shedding or burning up all this material and they have nothing that stops them just collapsing in on themselves more and more densely under their own self-gravity. And instead of being regulated by a fusion burning process, their size and mass is actually regulated by quantum mechanics and they end up packing in a whole bunch of stuff into that tiny space just purely because of the mass that they get. Now you might ask why we care about white dwarfs so much, and in particular this unusual one. Well the thing is, white dwarfs are collapsed remnants of these sort of smaller stars, these regular type of stars like our sun. And most stars that become this red giant stage when they puff up and once they shed all of all the material after 5 billion years, they'll shrink down to become these white dwarfs. 97% of all stars will become a white dwarf. Now, since there are so many stars and such a high percentage of them becoming white dwarfs, that means there's a chance for some pretty strange stuff to happen. Now, our sun doesn't have a stellar partner or more. It's not in a binary or a trine or even a little cluster. Our star, the sun, is on its own. The thing is, a lot of stars don't do that. A lot of stars inhabit these clustered spaces. Some even inhabit binary spaces. Are very common amongst them, actually, in fact. You might think of Alpha Centauri as a good example. But as the stars in these binary pairs grow old together, if they're both less than around eight solar masses, eight times the mass of our sun, they'll, they'll evolve into white dwarfs. The problem is, now you've got two incredibly dense objects that blew up to red giant size, then shrunk back down. And their orbits have changed as a result of this. The gravitational fields will start interacting and changing. They may have been stable for 10 billion years up to that point, but now they've undergone significant shifts. And those significant shifts can cause their orbits to change. Now, they may not spiral around each other stable anymore. They may lose that, and if the dead stars are massive enough, you know, you could end up with a supernova, but if they're below a certain mass, they will eventually just shrink together, collapse in on each other, and then smoosh in a merger. 
And the resulting singular white dwarf that they create is far heavier, of course, than either progenitor star. This process of amalgamation and merging ends up with a really fast spinning and really dense and heavy stellar object. And that's exactly what these researchers have discovered. A tiny newfound white dwarf named ZTF J1901 plus 1458, named after, of course, the telescope which it was discovered on. At the end of this process of squishing and merging, these two binary white dwarfs join together to make a white dwarf star about 1.35 times the mass of our sun. On white dwarf scale, that's huge. And this white dwarf has an extreme magnetic field. It's crazily intense, a billion times stronger than our sun. And it's spinning around its central axis with one revolution every seven minutes. It's almost the record for, in fact, the fastest spinning white dwarf. The fastest one, Epic 22893-9929, rotates every 5.3 minutes. So only two minutes off the pace there on this stellar object, but with an incredibly, incredibly powerful magnetic field. So this is strange for many reasons. For one thing, you've got a really dense object that's been created. The next thing is you've got a really big white dwarf speaking object. And it's spinning so insanely fast, pumping out its really strong magnetic field. Now, what might happen with this is since it's so big and it's spinning so fast, you may end up with a core. The electrons are being captured by the protons in the nucleus and they're forming neutrons. This pressure from the electrons is pushing against the forces of gravity. It actually holds the star together while it the core itself is collapsing. Because, you know, you're taking out so many of these electrons and creating neutrons. And what they end up here is what we call a neutron star. This is a way, potentially, scientists think of a neutron star forming. But we've never actually seen the conditions required to actually make one. So this is a great example of scientists discovering something that may actually be the precursor to a neutron star. And it's possible, since this one is relatively close by to us, that we could find many more that might occur pretty commonly in our galaxy. Which is good news for scientists, because otherwise trying to find a neutron star was believed to be pretty rare indeed. But if they can be formed through this binary pair collapse, well, that's a good way for scientists to look for other potential neutron star candidates. Now, this is a pretty rare stellar object. One that's spinning incredibly fast is pretty rare for a starter. Another one that has an incredibly strong magnetic field, again, pretty rare. And another one, a neutron star, is potentially being formed here by this super large white dwarf. These are all rare stellar occurrences, but have been discovered through the combined use of not just the ZTF instrument and other telescopes in Hawaii, but also a number of other observatories like the Keck Observatory and SWIFT. Now, stellar objects like this give astrophysicists and astronomers a chance to look for more in our region by showing what is possible, not just mathematically possible, but practically. And it also helps people change their minds about what actually is realistic in terms of astrophysics, but what could even happen? And there's still many questions like, what rate of white dwarf mergers do we actually see scattered across our galaxy? Is it actually a pretty common thing or is it still a rare occurrence? And what kind of strange things does such a powerful magnetic field create? And then is this how we end up with so many of the type 1A supernova? These are all good questions that need to be investigated further, but it's a great example of how finding a strange stellar objects helps answer some questions and shine a path forward for discovering new solutions to long-held problems. 
some great research published in the journal Nature by Chiazzo, Burge and Fuller about a highly magnetized, rapidly rotating, supermassive but small white dwarf star. talked before about the life cycle of stars, obviously one of those pathways is a supernova. But supernovas come in certainly different types and flavours, especially if you have a red giant star becoming a supernova, or perhaps one of those supergiant stars becoming a supernova. In the categories of supernovas, there's one that's being theorised, but not really ever observed, the electron capture supernova. Now, scientists have been thinking about this for around 40 years, but trying to find a real example of this in practice has been elusive. Now, the theory is a supergiant, but super asymptotic giant branch star, SAGB, one that is undergoing this weird pulsing behavior as it burns through its shell and switches between hydrogen, helium, and other materials. This kind of strange behavior star might be what leads to an electron capture supernova, a strange type of supernova. But, well, scientists have been trying to prove that these are even possible to exist. And that's where a large international collaboration of scientists working together formed what's called the Global Supernova Project. And a study recently published in the journal Nature Astronomy outlines the results of a long study led by Daichi Hiramatsu, a graduate student from UC Santa Barbara, working with the La Humbres Observatory. Now, they used this observatory to identify a relatively nearby supernova, only 31 million light years away, in the galaxy NGC 2146. And what they found at this supernova site was something that could help shed light on not only new types of supernova that have only been theorized, but also what happened almost a thousand years ago. AD 1054, when a supernova occurred that was visible across the world, even in the daytime, and eventually became the Crab Nebula. This paper shed some light on this mysterious phenomenon, but let's first talk about supernova in general. Now, historically, they can be categorized into these two types, type 1, type 2. We mentioned type 1a before, when we talked about collapsing white dwarfs. Now, the two types, broadly speaking, are categorized either by thermonuclear and iron core collapse. A thermonuclear supernova is a real explosion of a white dwarf type star after it gains matter in a binary star system. Pretty much what we talked about before. Not quite in the case of two binary stars becoming white dwarfs and merging together, but more like one white dwarf eating material off another functioning star. That kind of thermonuclear explosion type supernova, type 1a. Now, there's another pathway that could be gone down, and that's the iron core collapse. And this occurs when a really massive star, one about 10 times the mass of the sun or greater, runs out of nuclear fuel and, and its iron core collapses in and of itself, creating a black hole or a neutron star. Now, between these two types of supernova, there's something that can happen, which is called an electron capture supernova. These stars stop their fusion. Basically, they run out of things to burn. And when they stop this fusion process, their cores are made of oxygen, neon, and magnesium. 
but they're not quite big enough for them to turn these other elements into, through fusion, iron and other heavier metals. So it's got some fused elements created, but not enough to really make it super dense to explode the supernova, the heavy ion top. Now, the thing is, gravity is always trying to collapse a star in of itself. What keeps the star collapsing is normally either the continual fusion process or this burning process. And if you can't pack any your atoms in tighter and you can't fuse anymore, then what's going to happen? Something has to give. And electron capture supernova, some of the electrons from the gases, oxygen, neon, and magnesium core, get smashed into the nuclear. But naturally, if you take the electrons out of their normal position, it can lead to a destabilization of the whole mass of the star. Now, something as small as an electron may not seem important, but if you suddenly lose all your electrons and they get squished into the nuclear core, well, it has pretty stellar consequences for this star. And what ends up happening is the star can start to buckle under its own weight and collapse. And obviously, once that picks up a bit of steam, you end up with an electron capture supernova. Now, this was first theorized by Kenichi Nomoto from the University of Tokyo all the way back in 1980. The problem is actually coming up with a star that may cause this rare scenario to occur. It sort of needs a right sweet spot. And scientists thought that maybe these SAGB type stars these asymptotic stars would actually be the candidates. But the problem was you've got to find some in the first place. And whenever they saw any in the Milky Way, they were inconsistent with the model of these sort of red supergiants that would become supernova. So they scoured through all published data on supernova and found that while some had this pre-indicators that might lead to this electron capture supernova, there was only really one out of had all six of the required criteria that they thought may lead to one. So that leads to the question, what is with this weirdo star, as Hiromatsu points out? We examined every aspect of SN2018ZD and realized that all of them can be explained in the electron capture scenario. They identified basically a really weird supernova. And in this really weird supernova, it had all of the precursor information that would be associated with this really weird type of electron capture supernova. It didn't neatly fit any of the other boxes. So they had found their first example of this supernova occurring. But now knowing what it looked like, they thought, well, what about other supernova? Are there any more out there that we could categorize in the same way? Now, way back in CE 1054, a supernova happened in the Milky Way galaxy. And if you look through Chinese and Japanese records, you can see that it was so bright that it could be seen during the daytime for a period of 23 days and then at night for nearly two years. The result though is a stellar remnant, the Crab Nebula. Now, of course, we've studied the Crab Nebula in great detail because it's a pretty amazing place. Now, when you look at the conditions that we see in this SN2018ZD, these precursors for an electron capture supernova, if you look at the Crab Nebula, well, it had exactly the same criteria. But of course, since we weren't there to observe the Crab Nebula supernova way back then with the current technology, we'll never know. But now we have some real examples of identifying actual electron capture supernova. It's pretty likely that this historic SN1054 supernova was most likely electron capture because we can see a lot of these precursors line up. Now we can't say obviously for certain without going back and seeing it, but the best we can observe using the information today is that it probably was as well. And that's amazing because it's taken us 
40 years to prove this original concept by Kenichi Nomoto of University of Tokyo way back in 1980 of an electron capture supernova. And it's taken us even longer, a thousand years, to explain the supernova in the Crab Nebula. But now we have identified how these type of supernovas can occur and the precursor signs that can be hunted for to identify where one of these supernovas has occurred in the past or where one might occur in the future. It's a great paper with a large team of international collaborators, University of California and the Supernova Project working across the world with lead author Daichi Hiramatsu, published in the journal Nature Astronomy. This has been the Young Scientists of Australia's podcast, LaGrange Point. From white dwarfs combining and merging to become supermassive and super fast spinning, to different types of supernovas shedding light on the history of supernovas even in the past. Our ending theme was composed by Audio and Head to ysa.org.au for more information about the Young Scientists of Australia.